Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would like for you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. We're going to read the first three verses. There will be some Bibles there in the pews in front of you. If, uh, if you don't have one that you brought with you this morning, you would turn there and, and uh, follow as I read the first eight verses of John chapter 3. And a portion of this third chapter is very familiar to us all. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth whither it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, and so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you that we can come together as a church today to renew our fellowship one with another, to make new acquaintances to visit and share together as we partake of the food that has been prepared for our bodies. But we come now before satisfying the needs of our physical to feed upon your word, to take it to the depths of our heart and our soul that we might be nourished in things that are spiritual. We thank you, Lord, for everyone who has come this morning and for those who have come to share with us from uh, other churches or from other parts of the country. We thank you for their presence and we ask you, Lord, to bless them and us together as we share in this time of fellowship where we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question. I want all of you to be honest with me and when I ask you if you can answer it, Yes, then I would like for you to raise your hand. I want, to, I want to ask you, how many of you have a birthmark? I'm not going to ask you to reveal where it is. I just want to know if you have one. One, two, come on, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They keep going up. Are you trying to decide if you want to answer? Nine, nine, ten. Anybody else want to admit it? Only 10 people have birthmarks. All right. Keep that in mind. There are few people admit to having a birthmark. I'm suggesting to you that all of us should
show to have a birthmark. But I'm talking about a different kind that I ask you to reveal. We all should have marks of our birth that are evident, not just on our body, but on our soul. I recall that a niece of mine was born with a birthmark across the bridge of her nose, fairly large. To me, it was a mark of beauty, but most people consider their birthmarks as something ugly and to be covered up, and nobody's going to find out where it is if you can keep clothes over it. But she always had that mark, which could not be covered up. But a couple of years ago, at Christmas time, when we got together, I looked at her, she's now in her 20s, and I looked and I looked and something wasn't right. And finally it dawned on me, she had had that birthmark surgically removed or altered or something had taken place, so it no longer was visible. And she got uncomfortable with me looking at her, and she knew that I was looking at her. And finally I said, a light came on, I said, I know now what's different. You don't have your birthmark. She said, I sure wondered what you were looking at me so hard for. Well, I think I ought to be able to look at you and see your birthmark. When you came into the kingdom of God, there ought to be some evidence. When you were born again, some of you have been born a long time and that birthmark ought to be all over your body. Some of you are new as far as being a Christian is concerned, but there ought to be the evidences showing up that you have, in fact, been born again. There was a man by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. I don't know why he came at night to talk to Jesus. We find out that he was a ruler of the Jews, which meant that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And as a member of this unique body who did not believe that Jesus could possibly be the Christ, he did not want to let anybody know that he had come to talk to Jesus whom they denied as being the Messiah. And Nicodemus came therefore at night to hide his relationship with Christ. Do not let anybody know that he was there talking to the Lord. And he comes to Jesus and says, Now I know that you're a great teacher because nobody could do the things that you do if God had not sent him. Well, all of us could certainly say that about Jesus. And you can go across this world and find many millions of people who will confess to that knowledge that he is a great teacher. But this does not make them a part of the new birth. I don't know if you saw in the paper just recently, but there was the, the article, I think just maybe yesterday or the day before, of a poll had been taken when there's only, I believe it was 30% of the people in the United States admit to being born again. And yet our church rolls say that more than 60% of the people of the United States belong to church. And only half of that group say they're born again? That's a striking statistic. 
Jesus responded to Nicodemus and he said, I tell you that except a man, and this could be woman as well, of course, but he was talking to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot, cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's the prerequisite for getting into the kingdom of God is to have a second birth. Well, Nicodemus didn't understand this. And he said to the Lord, well, I don't understand. Do you mean it's possible for a man to enter again into his mother's womb that he might be born the second time? And then Jesus answered him, and I, I want you to listen to the answer because it has been confusing to many people, and there are churches that have misunderstood what this verse says. Jesus said, verily, verily, which means he's putting emphasis upon it, I say to you, except a man be born of water, and here comes the problem, and of the Spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of water and of the Spirit. Some churches jump right up and say, hey, you've got to be baptized. Right there the Lord said it. You've got to be born of the water right back here. Oh, now, come on, folks. Let's be honest and read the Scripture the way it's written. You see, we can't stop at that one verse because we've got to go to the sixth verse following it and get the comprehension of what he's saying. Verse 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, he's doing what is called a parallelism. He is making a statement and, and reinforcing it with another statement slightly different. That which is born of water and of the Spirit, that which is flesh, that which is spirit. Can you see the comparison? He's talking about you're going to be born the first time by water. And all of us know that when we are born, it's by water. There is the, the, the water bag that surrounds the, the baby. And that gives forth when the child is about to be born. That's the water birth that he's talking about. You can be born of water and never born of the Spirit. You can have a physical birth without ever having a spiritual birth. And that's what most people have, is the physical birth. And that's physical. Water and physical are identical. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And Nicodemus had had the physical birth. He had not had the spiritual birth. He had had the water birth. He had not had a spiritual birth. And it had nothing whatever to do with baptism. He had no intention of talking about baptism. It would have been ridiculous for Jesus to talk to Nicodemus about baptism before Nicodemus had ever believed. So he's talking about the parallel of being born physically and being born spiritually. All right. <clears throat> Our birth is a beginning. We have a new child. And all of us have gone to the hospital or to the home and and oohed and all 
over this new birth, we start counting the age of a person when he is born. The Jews did not do that, and many other peoples don't do that. They start counting the age of the person at the time of conception, and that's exactly what ought to be. You're nine months old when you're born. Did you know that? I believe the scripture teaches without challenge that life begins at conception, and you've heard me say that before, and so I'll not continue to emphasize it this morning. Life does not begin at birth. It's already underway when the conception takes place. So we now have a new baby, and that new baby needs to grow. And the first thing that happens when there is a new baby is that that baby wants to eat. I have never ceased to be amazed in my experience with animals. And I have helped in the birth process of hundreds of uh, lambs and calves and uh, even colts, but particularly lambs and calves and and dogs. And the thing that I notice is when that little baby gets on his feet, he starts looking for something to eat. He begins to nudge around until he can find the source of his nourishment, and then he eats like he is starved to death. And that's the way it ought to be. That's the way God designed it. After the birth, there must be a beginning process of growth toward maturity. The same thing is true when it comes to the spiritual. When we are born spiritually, we are little babies. And we need to be nourished so that we might grow. Danny stood here last night as he did this morning and led the, uh, the music Danny is only nine months old, he told us last night. Did you know that? Did you ever see a nine-month-old baby whose hair had already fallen from the top of his head down to his face? <laughs> that's your birthmark. Oh, okay, that's right. Now, that's tremendous growth in nine months. The thing that begins to take place in the life of a baby is that he takes on the characteristics of his parents. I guess that's how you got that fall from here to here, at least from off of here. Your dad doesn't have any up here either. Now, the characteristics of the parent becomes evident in the child. And you've gone to look at the baby you women particularly do this, and you say, ah, oh, he's got his daddy's eyes. And I say, ah, oh, he's got his mommy's mouth. <laughs> the physical characteristics begin to show up pretty quick. And you have all said about my grandkids, I sure can tell that they're your grandkids. I'm not sure what, whether uh, 
uh, how you're judging that, but that's, that's evidence. The, the genes of the uh, parents and the grandparents go right on, and so it is true when we're born of the Spirit, we take on the characteristics of our Father. We ought to look like and act like God because we are His children. But once we're born, then something begins to, needs to begin to take place, and that is there needs to be the growth process by which we are nourished. There's nothing more tragic than for a baby to be born who never grows. But it happens. And I've seen many of those in some institutions that I've had to be a part of. And I never get out of my mind seeing a baby, Danny literally, a baby just about two feet tall who was 40 years old and had the bald head and the hair on his face. And he was only two feet tall and he played on the floor like a two-year-old would play or a three-year-old because he never grew. But we have children of God who likewise never mature, never grow up. And we will say to our kids all, grow up, quit acting like a juvenile. What are we saying to them? We want you to take advantage of the growth process and become an adult. A child who stays a child and acts like a child is unacceptable in society. We want that person eventually to become an adult. We want them to be mature so that they can assume the responsibilities of adults in society. The same thing is true in the kingdom of God. We need to grow up. We need to become mature. There ought to be the marks upon us that are evidence of our maturing process. Do you feel like that you are older today as a Christian than you were a year ago? We certainly ought. We certainly should have matured. And we do that by certain processes. And I want to say five things about the marks of the new birth that ought to be evident in your life and mine. One of those marks is that we ought to possess a desire, an appetite to be righteous. We ought to want to be like our daddy, our heavenly father. I cannot think of very many children that I have come in contact with when I would ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And a boy will almost always say, I want to be like my dad. A child, a girl probably would say she wants to be like her mother, and that certainly speaks admirably of parents when the child wants to be like mom and dad. We can't all say that. Some of you would have to say the very opposite. I certainly do not want to be like my mother or my father. 
because they are not what they ought to be. The image of the father and the mother, however, are there physically. And then the environment in which we live begins to mold and make us what we are. We're all products of the environment that we have grown up in. Sometimes that is good and sometimes that is bad. But the environment ought to play an important role in our spiritual growth. Let me tell you, you're never going to become a mature Christian without being a part of the church. If you think that you can develop yourself spiritually and stay away from the church, you're going to be a juvenile who never grew up. You've got to develop within an environment that is conducive to spiritual growth. It's got to be there. There ought to be in us a desire and an appetite to grow, to mature, to be like our Father. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. What I'm saying to you is that one of the marks that ought to be on your life and mine is that we want to be like our Father. We want to be righteous. But in order to be so, we're going to have to be in the environment that is controlled by the Lord. We can see a lot of immaturity, even amongst our own congregation. I can stand here and name you names of people who haven't been in this church for months who are members of it. And you tell me they're maturing spiritually? They're a giant in the kingdom of God that God is pleased? I can't believe that. When we take ourselves away from the fellowship, the environment, where God's word is proclaimed, we're going to find people that are going away from God and not to God. There's got to be a desire, and if you're a Christian, there is a mark on you that says, I want to be like my father. And it ought to be evident. There's a statement that is made a lot, that you are what you eat. I don't like that statement because I know uh, the things that I know I ought to eat, I don't want to eat. You know, carrots and radishes and celery and that stuff just, just doesn't appeal to me. Pie and cake and those things do. And as a result, there was one time that I was what I ate. I weighed 50 pounds more than I do now because it was all those nice sweet things. And we know that we are what we eat. We know that there are some things that we physically eat that are not good for us, and we're going to abuse that in a little while downstairs. And uh, rationalize, and I'm going to rationalize that, well, this is a special day. It won't hurt me if I overindulge. Uh, but we all know that we will, be, we will be what we take into our body. You want to take alcohol into your body, you're going to be an alcoholic eventually. You want whatever you're going to take into, you're going to take drugs into your body, you're going to be a drug addict. 
You want to take, uh, you name it, uh, caffeine into your body and, and exorbitant amounts, it's going to have a physical effect upon your body and upon mine. The same thing is true when it comes to spiritual. We are what we eat, and this ought to be what we should be eating, and that's the Word of God. And if we're not eating the Word of God, that is, if we're not absorbing the Word of God into our spirit, into our soul, into our body, we're going to be less than we ought to be. What do you read? The National Enquirer or the Word of God? You are what you're reading. You spend your time reading some of those things that you can find at the grocery store at the checkout counter where they're convenient and easy to pick up more than you read the Word of God. You are becoming a, a, an addict to the filth of this world and the Word of God is not taking root. So the first mark of the new birth is that we desire to become righteous that we might look like and act like God. Secondly, which is certainly closely related, and that is that a twice-born person ought to adore God. He ought to love God. What's our relationship to God? I would suggest to you that most people ignore God. Most people ignore Him. Live as if he did not even exist. There are some people who forget that there is a God. There are some who fear God. There are some who hide from God. There are some who, like uh, Jonah, uh, run from God. There are those who defy God. There are probably even those who hate God. Listen, most of the people of this world ignore God. But a mark of your salvation is that you love God. 1 John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. And I think we need to answer in our own minds and our own hearts, do we in fact really love God or are we just talking out of the side of our mouth? Are we just whistling in the wind or do we mean what we say? Thirdly, a person who is born again has a new attitude towards sin. I want you to listen to me. A new attitude. We have a new living policy. There are certain things that we now no longer will do or can do because we belong to God. There ought to be a difference in the way we live where we go and what we do, what we say and how we act. A Christian ought to be different. As a matter of fact, the scripture says to come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that we ought to separate ourselves from people who disagree with us. That we ought to separate ourselves from people who are not Christian. It doesn't say that at all. It is simply saying that we ought to stand out with evidence on us. There's the birthmark. We're different. We act different. We talk different. We think different. Do we? Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh, that is the physical, lusteth against 
the spirit. There is a war going on between our physical side and our spiritual side. And the question is, which side's going to win? The flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would do. Listen. We would like to do certain things, but we cannot do them. Why can we not do them? Is because we have a new attitude towards sin. And that attitude is, I cannot participate. And why can we not? Well, simple. How is it possible? For a child of God to live like the child of the devil. How is it possible? I want to go over to 1 John. If you want to go with me, I'd like to, because I'm going to read several passages before the sermon's over from the Gospel of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 is where we're going first. 1 John's way over next to Revelation. 1st and 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, and Revelation. So go way over there and back up a little bit, and you'll find 1st John. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. In this the children of God are manifested, that is, made known. In this the children of God are made known, or revealed. And the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, and neither he that loveth not his brother. And we'll talk about that last phrase in a little bit later. <clears throat> That's a hard one to take. And again, some people have misinterpreted that and say, well, since I'm a Christian, anything I do is not sin. I can do whatever I want to do. It won't affect anybody. Won't, uh, I'm perfect. That's not what that verse is saying at all. It is simply saying, if we could translate it in modern day language, it is simply saying, a child of God does not want to do unrighteousness. A child of God does not want to sin. A child of God does not want to commit that which is wrong in God's sight. A child of God is one who is revealed by his righteous way of living. We have a new attitude towards sin, and that is that we will not do it. Now granted, we're going to fail. We're going to falter. We're going to be weak, and we're going to yield. And there are other passages of scriptures that tells us what to do when we come to that point. And, it, and the long and the short of it is that we can come to God and repent of our sin and God will forgive us when we have failed. But the goal and the intent and the purpose of the Christian, the mark is on him. He does not want to sin. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to sin, you'd better question whether or not you're saved. That's the way you want to live. If there is no qualms in you. If you don't care. Better question. Fourthly. A mark of the new birth is that a person loves other people. Now listen to this one. 
We said back in point number two, the mark of the new birth is that a person loved God. And now we're going to say the mark of the new birth is that a person loves others. And particularly his brethren. 1 John 3.14, I told you to stay there, I hope you did. 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abideth in death. Now I want to make sure you understand that I didn't say that. That's the scripture. If you hate a Christian, you're not a Christian. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it from John, not from me. You hate. You don't have the love of God in you. You can't. The mark's not there if you hate. Look at verses 18 and 19. My little children, let us not love in word. Let's just simply say I love you. And we are all good at that neither in tongue, let's just not use our mouth to talk about how we love, but we are to love how? In deed and in truth. That's how we're to love. It's not enough to simply say, God bless you. It's important that we see that God does bless by our own actions. It's not enough to say, I love everybody in the world. It's important that we demonstrate that beginning at home and with our friends and family. Here we are, a family, and I read 21 new members of our family just a little bit ago. They're a part of us. Listen, when these 21 people hurt, the rest of us ought to hurt. When the rest of us hurt, these 21 ought to come to our rescue. There ought to be the demonstration of affection of one member of the family for the other. When a new baby is born into the, into the household, every member of that family gathers around to protect it and cuddle it and feed it and care for it until it can grow up and start the process on their own, on its own, to begin to do the same thing. That's what needs to happen in the family of God. We love each other in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our failures, in spite of all the things that might be wrong. There is nothing that will keep us from supporting each other. And we're married together, and we could almost read the marriage vow, in sickness and in health until death us do part, so help me God. Is that the kind of commitment that you and I have to each other? Then if we have that commitment, we've got the mark of our new birth on us. But if that mark isn't there, God help us all. For we're not near the family that we say we are. Lastly, the mark of the new birth is that we have a new ambition. We have a new goal in life. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, he was struck down there on that road with that light from heaven above and the Lord Jesus spoke to Paul and Paul finally believed in Jesus as the Savior of the world and accepted him as his Lord that day and once he had done that Paul said Lord what would you have me to do now here comes the last point I want to make and that is if we are born again 
We're looking to serve God in whatever capacity God may have outlined for us to serve Him. There is no place for an idle person in the pew. There is no place for a person to think that they can sit back in the chair and relax because we're in this thing together. We've committed ourselves to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The mark is on us. And there ought to be the evidence in the life of every Christian person that we do all that we possibly can to glorify the name of God above and to honor His Son, Jesus Christ. This church ought to be doing that as a body. And I hope that we have the evidence here. We've seen uh, numbers of people become saved and numbers of people renew their relationship to the Lord and to this church and we see that we're growing in numbers, but it's more important that we grow with a larger and larger birthmark upon us so that this whole world knows without doubt that we are saved. How big is your birthmark? Can it be seen? Or are you ashamed to show it? Not that physical birthmark. You may not want to reveal it. Because you might think it's ugly. But I tell you, the mark that God puts on your life and mine ought to be a mark of beauty that we're glad that the world would see. And there are some evidences in our lives that it's there. And we've talked about five of them. How big's your birthmark? Do you have one? Maybe you're not saved at all. You don't have a birthmark yet because you haven't been born. If you haven't been born the second time, if you haven't been born of the Spirit, we invite you to become born this morning. Let us share in your birthing process. You've got to want to be born. This is one difference in the physical birth and the spiritual birth. The physical birth, that baby doesn't have much to say about it. He's going to be born regardless when the time comes. But listen, in the spiritual birth, the baby's got a right to say something about it. And the Lord God will allow you to say no to being born again if you want to say no. But you've got to understand the consequences of saying no is an eternal death. You want to be born into the kingdom of God? Then give your life to the Lord Jesus. Don't be a part of that second 30% who say I'm a part of the church. I have done XXX things and that ought to be enough. You need to be born again. That is, come into this world through the birthing process of the Spirit. Allow Him to give you new life. Without that new life, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. If you are a member of another church and want to become a part of this church, we think we have a vision here and you want to be a part of that vision. We think that we're going to see many souls saved in the years to come. You want to be a part of that process, then join us. Be a part of us. Be active in God's work. If you are a member of another church, we invite you to come. If you are not a member of any church, but you believe in the Lord Jesus, you want to proclaim that, we invite you to come down this aisle. If you're not a Christian at all, won't you become one this morning? Start your new life so that next year when we read the list, your name will be on it, that you have become a part of this family, the family of God by the birthing process. Will you do it? 
Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.